Well, good morning again to you. We're going to be in Isaiah today again. Isaiah, the, the full text is chapters 25 through 27, but I'm going to read from chapter 26, just a few verses there. And we're going to talk about the strong city of the Lord. Isaiah has already given us <clears throat> a vision of two cities. One, the wasted city, the city of man, the city of human pride. We saw the judgment upon that last week. This week, we're going to consider the city of the Lord, the city of salvation. The blessing of God is upon this city. It awaits us, but it will come. So stand with me in honor of God's word. Isaiah 26, just the first five verses. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation <clears throat> that keeps faith may enter it. <clears throat> you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height, the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. This is God's word. You may be seated. A well-known song of ancient Israel opens this way. On the holy mount stands the city that he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. You can hear the longing. Maybe you feel the longing to be in the city of God. Surely we're not so dull that we think we're already in it. Surely you want more. Surely the Spirit of God stirs in you to want more than even the wonderful city we live in. It has been said that when the word Zion is used for Jerusalem, the city of God, it's referring specifically to God's presence with his people. Now the history of this city has yet to see the kind of glory and lasting peace and feasting and fruitfulness that the Psalms and the prophets stir us up to long for. And we know why. We know why the city has yet to fulfill the promise that we long for because like Abraham in Hebrews 11, we're looking for a city whose designer and builder is God, not even David or Solomon. We're seeking a homeland. We're seeking a better country. We're seeking a heavenly one with a city prepared for us by God himself. Hebrews 12 tells us that when we come to Christ, we actually come to Mount Zion. We come to the city of the living God. We come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Whether or not you've made a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, 
When you come to Christ, you've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Someday, Christ is going to bring that city to us. It's so good, I want to read it to you. Just listen. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. And I saw no temple in that city. For its temple was the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. And by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter into it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the city that the Lord Jesus is going to bring to us. Isaiah looks ahead and he sees this city and he prophesied about it all throughout his book. Isaiah chapters 25, 26, and 27 are all about this city. They're placed at the end of this section of, of chapters, chapters 13 through 24, that are all about God's judgment on the nations of the world. And they're placed, these chapters in this city, is placed in contrast to another city that he says is going to become a heap. It's going to be ruined. It'll be no more. It'll be never, never to be rebuilt. The city. The city of the Lord is the dominant theme through these chapters. Isaiah has written about, mentioned these two cities in chapter 24 that we saw last week. One he calls the wasted city. It's broken down. That's the city of human society seeking to live without God. And then he closed chapter 24, the last verse, with the second city, Jerusalem. On Mount Zion, the city of God's glory where he reigns. These two cities are two spiritual realities. It's the spiritual reality of God's judgment on those who ignore him and rebel against him. That was last week, chapter after chapter of God's judgment on those who seek to live without him. But also the city of, of God, the city of the Lord, is the spiritual reality of God's salvation for those who believe, he says in verse 2 of the text we just read, those who keep faith, those who receive him, those who enter into eternal life, those who have this life of God with them. The point of that, 
the point of Isaiah putting it in this order is that to say that after judgment comes salvation. Judgment is not the final word. God's glory enjoyed by his people is the final reality that we will enter. The city of humanity will be brought low only to make way for the city of God's glory for his people. Now remember about timing. We've been talking about time all through Isaiah. Some things Isaiah says have, are in his time. Some are in the time of Christ. Some are in the time to come. Some seem to have a, an emphasis all throughout. Remember that in Isaiah's day, the people have sinned against the Lord. It's so grievous. It's so persistent that the Lord uses other nations to discipline them. Isaiah is prophesying that that is coming and that there is a remnant of people who will return to Jerusalem after the exile of Babylon and that's what happened. We read about it in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. We know that Ezra and Nehemiah were back there as well. But as we have seen before, that phrase that Isaiah keeps using, in that day, in the chapters we're considering, 25, 26, 27, it's used numerous times. In that day, that is the language of a future that is beyond ours even today. That is the language of the final day. In that day, there's a day coming for all who are in faith. Isaiah is writing of two cities using that phrase, in that day. First, the wasted city. Again, we saw that last week in chapter 24, verse 10, the wasted city. In the text we read today, he calls it the lofty city. It's the city of human pride. What does he say about it? It'll become like a heap, verse two, a ruin, no more, never to be rebuilt. A city laid low in the dust. Societies, human life itself, in the pride, the boastful pride of life is what's being referred to. And he says it will be no more. Now you might be thinking here about Augustine's work, City of God. He wrote about the fall of Rome. He wrote about paganism. He wrote about Christianity. He wrote about the flow of history. But there he makes reference to these two cities, the city of man and the city of God. Isaiah is writing about this and seeing this long before Augustine. He's writing about it in his day, 700 years before Christ. These two cities, the city of humanity without God. It's actually seen in Genesis chapter 11. You'll remember there the people are all one at that point. And they come together and they say, hey, let's make ourselves a city. And in that city, let's make a tower. Let's have a tower that will reach all the way up to heaven so that we can make a name for ourselves. Well, that means they want to make a great society without God. They want to, they want to be on their own without God. That's the city of man. The New Testament, John calls it the world. First John 2, he says, the world is this, desires of the flesh, Desires of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. Now this is a city. 
You can go into any, any city in our country and around the world, and you will see three things. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. You'll see the city of man in real cities. But it's more than a city. It's a mindset. Because John said, don't love the world. Don't love the world or the things of the world. He means there's a place in the heart where the city dwells. The city of man dwells in the human heart where the affections live, where we love. The world seems so real. It seems so substantive, doesn't it? The world, the, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, it just seems so promising of satisfaction. We've all been lured in. <clears throat> it keeps us hoping that someday we're going to find what we're looking for. The world itself, it's, it's ordered in such a way <clears throat> that it teases us. That we'll, so that we'll keep thinking that someday we're going to get it right. We talk about it. You can hear, you can hear the politicians talking about it all the time. <clears throat> when are we going to finally get this right? We've got the way to get it right. Without the need to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. This world resides in the human heart. Now, when we talk about the city of humanity in pride, <clears throat> in opposition to God, the world, we're not talking about living in the world for God's glory now. We are in this world. We're just not of this world. We can live in this world without the world living in us. And we should live in this world. We should be giving ourselves to truth and to goodness and to the kingdom of Christ as we live in this world. This is not worldly. This is not building the city of man. When we live in this world for the glory of God, we're actually testifying to the city of God. We're giving testimony to people in this world who are, who are so restricted by the city of man. We're saying there's another way. This is our calling as the people of God, already in the city of God, already with the city of God in our hearts, living in this world. The city of humanity refers to life with man at the center. Life with the individual person at the center. Life of loving self. Life of loving society more than God. Life with God pushed out. This city is built on sand. It will fall. And I think we can say, based on the Bible, not just observation, but based on the Bible, we can say the city of man not only will be judged, but is already being judged. We can say, based on the Bible, that the turmoil in the world, the turmoil in the world is evidence that the world is already under the judgment of God. So why would we rest our hope on something that is already being judged by God? 
Don't let the city of God dwell in you. Don't, or the city of man dwell in you, and don't rest your hope on it. Let's work for the good because people, people are in need, and God loves them. So let's be in the world working for good, but don't love this world as a mindset, resting your hope on it. Why? Now the good news. Because there's another city, a greater one. Second point, the city of the Lord. Isaiah 26.1 says, it is a strong city. Israel and Judah longed for this city. But it's so interesting, isn't it? Does it frustrate you as it does me? It's so interesting that the city that they longed for and is promised never materialized the way they hoped. It never came to pass the way it's been prophesied and described. Again, for the reasons that we've already said. People of faith, people of faith in Christ. We can even say Abraham had faith in Christ because he had faith in the promised son even before he knew who he was. The people of faith in Christ like Abraham and Isaiah and John the Apostle and the writer of Hebrews are looking for a city whose designer and architect is God himself, a city not made with hands but built by God, a city entered into by faith. All who believe will enter into the kingdom of God and become citizens of heaven, Philippians tells us. We long for a city to be entered into where Christ is reigning as Lord. We enter a city as the person of Christ himself reigns as Lord in our hearts and he will literally bring this city to us when he returns. It'll be full of newness. We've been reading about it all morning. It'll be full of newness. It'll be the dwelling place of the people of God. It will be finally and fully and completely, we can call it rightly so, Zion the place of God's presence. Do you, do you see this? Do you see this now? Surely we, we long for it and surely we can actually cast our eyes on it as we live faithfully for Christ now. There's a now and a not yet to this in this prophetic vision. What does Isaiah see about this city? Well, in these chapters, 25 through 27, we can only pull out a handful of things. There's so much more, but I'll give you some. And let me just go ahead and tell you how many because you're going you're gonna to start wondering by the time this is done. Ten, okay? But we'll move quickly. What does he see about this city? Number one, verse, chapter 26, verse one, he sees that the city of the Lord is a strong city of salvation. You know, words get thrown around and we don't, they lose their meaning to us. We don't understand the richness of words because we use them so much. And may the Lord give us the understanding of this word salvation. Look what he said, look what, look what Isaiah wrote. The people will sing in the land of Judah in that day, that day coming. We have a strong city, he sets up salvation. It's a rich word. It's layered and layered. It's a deliverance from, a saved from, it's a saved for. Salvation is from, it's saved from sin, it's saved from death. It is saved from our enemies. Salvation is to be saved from darkness, spiritual darkness. 
the darkness that lands on us. Salvation is to be saved from hopelessness. What a gift. Salvation is to be saved from meaninglessness, from the unending search for truth and love and identity. It's an end to alienation and aloneness and disease and despair. This is salvation from, it's salvation for. It's a city of salvation because we're brought into something. We're brought into life, true life, aliveness. Have you ever felt alive? It's just a foretaste of what's coming. Life is coming. Alive to God and the things of God. Heightened senses like we've never known before. What are those senses? We can't even comprehend them. Life by God's spirit. Life. A life of glory. A life of wholeness. A life of peace. This is salvation. We have a city of salvation because Christ, he says, in John 14, is preparing that place for us now. And he will bring it and we will enter into it and we have already entered into it as a foretaste. It's a city of salvation. Second, verse two, it's a city of faith. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter the gates of the city are open to you the gates of the city are open to the nations that keep faith what does that mean it means the people it means peoples who keep faith come into are made into a new nation first peter 2 a new nation a nation made righteous by christ who then get to enter into the city and live with him in this kind of life there's an open door for you today. I believe with all my heart that if God brought you to this room in this moment, whoever you are, whatever you've done, if God brought you into this room this morning, there's an open door for you. It is, it is wide open and you can walk through it by faith in Jesus. No works, thank the Lord. Nothing of ourselves we bring. No characteristic of ourselves, nothing. It is by grace through faith alone. Write those words over your whole life. By grace through faith. The door is open. Come into the city of the Lord. Third, it's a city of peace. Verse three, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is not a disconnected verse that's meant to merely inspire you. This is one of those verses, you know, you've probably seen it. You may have seen this in a gift shop somewhere and didn't even know where it was from. It's one of those verses that gets put on plaques and coffee mugs and things like that. But it has a context. It's a call to enter the city of peace. It's a call to shalom. It's a call to keep your mind stayed and fixed on the Lord so that you can have peace knowing that the city is coming. 
And let me encourage you with this. When you think about God, think about real things about God. It says you'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Stayed on God. When you fix your mind on God, think about real things of God. Use the spiritual muscle that God has given you, that the Spirit has awakened in you, the spiritual mind, to actually go through a list of them and fix your mind on the beautiful graces of God. We mentioned the layers of salvation. Think of the wave after wave after wave of grace that God brings to you in your life and be very specific. In that way, you'll keep your mind fixed on Him. You'll keep your mind in peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, knowing that Jesus Christ reigns in this city. Fourth, Verse 4, it's a city of trust forever. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Well, you say, I trust him now. I thought trusting is how I get into the city. Yes, and here's the beautiful thing. Trust is such a positive state of mind and heart that trust itself is going to last forever in the city of the Lord. We're going to trust God. We're going to trust God because God will be known as the everlasting rock. Have you ever said, I'm having a hard time trusting the Lord? I know you have because you've told me you have. We've all said it to each other. Let's pray for for me. I'm really having a hard time trusting the Lord. Heaven will be no more struggle to trust. It will be pure and complete faith and trust in Him. And you need to hear in those words everlasting forever that it's a relationship with God of complete trust that will last forever five it's a city of feasting now I'm going to have to jump out of my text I told you we were going to be in three chapters but I only read one so I'm going to stay in the long text okay but we're going to chapter 25 verse 6 because he tells us more about the city it's a city of feasting listen to these words on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples there's that phrase again For all peoples, anybody in the whole world who trusts in him, he makes for all peoples a feast, a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. The imagery is something, isn't it? The richness of the drink and the food there, the choiceness of it. He's saying, come and feast upon the Lord. Now, I don't know if you'll remember or not, but last week when we were in chapter 24 and verse 6, we read about judgment on the world and it said there that the curse was going to do the feasting. A curse is feasting on the world, on the earth. And therefore the wine languishes. You remember that last week? We said the wine was staggering. And the the curse of of sin and of the fall is feasting on the earth. It's picking it apart. That's, That's what's wrong with this world. We all say it rhetorically. We know what's wrong with this world. Okay, hopefully that's rhetorical. Hopefully you know what's wrong with this world. The curse is feasting on it. But here in this passage, in the city of God, it's reversed. Here, the wine is abundant, well-aged, refined, 
And we are feasting with the Lord, fellowshipping around the table with abundant provision and full satisfaction. That's what's being envisioned here by Isaiah. I first think of the Lord's Supper. The bread and the cup. When we're feasting on Christ, it's a foretaste. Now, we, we eat the bread, we drink the wine, the juice, we take it into our bodies Literally, but also by faith, because we're saying this is a feast. The Lord has made every provision for our salvation. And what does Jesus speak of when he has that meal with his disciples the night before he died? He said, I won't drink this again, holding up this cup of wine. He says, I won't drink this again until I drink it in newness in the kingdom of God. He's saying communion now is a reminder of our forgiveness of sins. And it's a mini feast for the feast that awaits us where we will feast on Christ forever. John saw this in Revelation 19, and he wrote about it. And there, he called it the marriage supper of the Lamb. Meaning the Lamb, Jesus, has a bride, his church. And in that final day, when he brings the city We're going to feast with the Lord. And then John goes on to say, blessed are those who are invited. You're being invited today. The word of the Lord is going out to you. And you are being invited to come and feast with Jesus. Friend, say yes to the invitation. Put your faith in Christ Brothers and sisters, feast on Christ. Commune with him and get ready for the feast to come. Six, it's a city without death. Verses seven and eight of chapter 25. We've just read about the feast in verse six. Verse seven and eight, he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. This is what 1 Corinthians 15 is built on because There, the Apostle Paul said, the last enemy to be put down is death. Death is an enemy. And it will be put down. At my funeral, I want there to be just a few minutes, just a few minutes of the acknowledgement of the enemy, death. Because that's the whole reason to celebrate the resurrection. Then we can celebrate what is to come. But that last great enemy, death, will be killed. How do you say it? The death of death is how you say it. And the dead will be raised. We will be raised to spiritual life. Now, interestingly, Isaiah, verse 6 of chapter 25, puts the feast right next to verses 7 and 8 of chapter 25, the end of death, and he merges them in a way that is an experience that is indescribable. 
incomprehensible for us. The seventh thing he says about the city is that there'll be no more tears. Verse eight, he will swallow up death forever and the Lord will wipe away all tears from all faces. Well, of course he will because there is no death. But the thing I wanted you to see with this point is that God himself will do God will do the wiping away of the tears. God himself, it's, a, it, it's imagery that it's hard for us to comprehend, but God himself, is, if we can say it, will bend down and wipe the tears from our faces. And I say to you, brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever is causing you sorrow today, whatever is causing you sorrow today, may or may not get removed in this life. If, if we should be anything, we should be honest. And we can't be dishonest by telling you that if you come to Jesus, everything that's causing you tears will go away in this world. Let's be honest. Whatever's causing you tears in this world may last. But you are being promised in Christ that everything that causes you tears in this life will be put to an end in the city to come. It will be no more. Number eight, there'll be a flourishing. We'll go to chapter 27, verses two through four. The Lord likens his people to a pleasant vineyard, he says. Verse two, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Amazingly, in Isaiah chapter 5, we saw this weeks ago, the nation was an unfruitful vineyard because they were unfaithful to the Lord and the Lord said he was going to pour out his wrath on them. Another reversal has happened in Christ. Another reversal has happened on that day. Now the Lord says no wrath. And he's going to actually bless his vineyard. We, we will flourish in whatever this life is to come. Whatever it's like, we know there will be flourishing like we cannot imagine. Like we do not experience now. Nine, a city of worship. <clears throat> Go all the way to the end of this text, 27, the last verse, verse 13. In that day, a great trumpet will be blown and those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out of the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. He says the Lord's people will be gathered as one. They were looking forward to the return from exile. And yes, there was a return from exile. But this he's talking about in that day, the city to come. There will come a new Jerusalem, a new city of the Lord. And in that city, there will be worship. The worship of God like we've never experienced before. And the final thing, I saved it for last because I... I, because I wanted to. How about that? I saved it for last because I wanted to, because I wanted you to land here. Number 10, it's a city where the Lord is. Chapter 25, verse 9. It will be said on that day. Every time it says on that day, we're looking ahead, brothers and sisters. We're looking ahead. He says, behold, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is what we will say 
in the city to come. Are you waiting? Is your life in a posture of waiting? What does it look like for a Christian to wait? It looks like faithfulness. It doesn't look like sitting on your suitcase. It doesn't look like idly sitting on, standing on the front porch. That's not what it looks like to wait on the Lord. What, what does it look like to wait on the Lord? It looks, it looks like being faithful to Christ. Trusting. Putting the whole weight of your life and hope and trust on the Lord Jesus himself. And in that day we will say, yes, we waited and look, he came. He showed up. He's here in all of his great salvation. What's the value of seeing into the future? Not to tease you. The value of being able to see the prophetic, what Isaiah has given here is a prophetic vision to see what's coming, the city of God. What is the value of that? It's not to tease you. Is not to set you up for failure and disappointment. Some of you are afraid to trust God because you are afraid he will disappoint you. That's not the reason you're given this vision. I already told you the truth. The truth is our sorrows may not go away in this world. We're looking for a city whose designer and builder is God. That's where they'll go away. We trust that. He's not setting you up to disappoint you. What's the value of the vision of the future? It's not to make you idle. The value of the vision of the future is so that you will trust him. Look back at the text. Open the gates. We've got a strong city. Open the gates that the righteous nation may keep faith, that keeps faith may enter. Keep faith. That's the value. It's to call you to be faithful. Look at verse three. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. The value of the vision of the future is so that you will keep your mind on Christ and be in peace. The value of the vision of the future is so that you will trust the Lord every day of your existence on this planet. You will trust the Lord forever because he is an everlasting rock. What is the value of this vision of the future to keep a church, the church, as itself a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden so that the nations around may see the glory of the Lord. You know, everything happens on a hill. It seems like in the Bible, everything happens on a hill. Atonement for our sin on Mount Calvary. The gathering of God's people to worship on Mount Zion at Jerusalem. The glory of the Lord and the presence with his people at Zion on the mountain. And the testimony to the nations of the grace of Jesus Christ is, comes from a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. That's the church. That's the value, brothers and sisters, of the vision of the future. I call you today to trust Christ. I call you today to stay faithful to Christ. I call you today to pray that we'd be a city on a hill bearing witness to Christ.